Hello, people of the podcast world. You are listening to The Virgo Files with me, Tristan. And me, Camille. And this is a true crime podcast hosted by me and Camille. And we talk about some dirty, dirty, juicy details while paying our respects to the victim and trying to shine a light on their stories as much as possible. So if you like true crime and showing compassion towards the victim and hearing their stories, then stick around. Today, we're talking about I don't know what, but I'm excited to hear it. Camille's going to tell us all the deets of this story. Hopefully it's not too depressing, but you never know with these kind of things. I also want to just start this off by saying I hope you have a really great joke for the end because this one's going to be rough. Okay. So, viewer discretion advised. Yeah, this one, it's one of those cases where it's very graphic, but I feel that the detail is necessary just to fully comprehend everything that took place in this case. Um, So if you're someone with a queasy stomach and just graphic details are a little too much for you, I think this is a good one to kind of skip. Listen to a different episode if you haven't listened to one of them before. Sounds good. I don't have a choice to click off, but... Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely one where I don't like going super into detail, but I definitely think it's necessary. Totally understand. Yes, how how was your day, Tristan? Let's let's start it off with that before we get into this. So, today was good. I had a really hard time sleeping last night. I mean, I always kind of suck at sleeping, but I accidentally took a 4 plus hour nap yesterday. So, last night I didn't fall asleep until 5 a.m., but I had a coffee date with my friend this morning, so I had to wake up early. Yeah. My day's been kind of tiresome, but it was good to go to the coffee shop with my friend. She's super cool. She just got back from a trip to Vietnam and Japan, and she brought me a fun-flavored Kit Kat from Japan, so I'm excited to try that. What flavor is it? Uh, The flavor is salt lemon. Interesting. You'll have to let me know how it is. Yeah, I will. She said it's super popular in the summertime. But when I got home, I did more work, and then I got ready to go on a hot date tonight. Me and Evan were supposed to go to the movies, to see a movie from 2003, one of the greatest movies of all time, The Room. Never seen it. Oh, you gotta see it. It's, it's like, um, it's pretty much up there with Troll 2. Have you seen Troll 2? Yeah, of course. You've made me watch that so many times, I could probably quote half of it. Ultra Two is my favorite movie, but The Room is very similar. I really think that you've told me about it before. Yeah. And by such a good movie, I mean, it's one of the worst movies of all time. But Tommy Wiseau is a genius. Every time I think of Tommy Wiseau, I think of Carlos. Shout out to Carlos again. He's been, you know, A1 since day one. He's a big fan of the podcast. And I really appreciate him listening to all the episodes. But... Carlos does a really good impression of Tommy Wiseau's laugh. Anyways, I got ready. I was on the subway to the movie theater. 
and Evan texted me and said, go home. Maybe because the weather's so bad, or I don't really know. But the movie theater was closed. Movie date got cancelled. Didn't get to watch The Room today, so that was pretty disappointing. How was your day? What'd you do? Um, it was good. It was a camp day. The twins got to ride some horsies. Well, Caleb's the only one that got on. Isaac refused, but... He still had fun watching them and watching other kids ride them, but Caleb actually rode the horse, and he was so cute and so excited. And then after we went back to the campsite and just hung out and did some fun things, and then we finally got home, and Mom actually decided to come home early today, so I got off work early. So I was like, you know what? Awesome. I'm going to get ready, this and that. I washed my gym clothes, and since I was home early, I was like, you know what, let me just kill some time, lay down, chill out. And Roger came over and decided to cuddle with me. Oh my gosh, he has what Cookie has, doesn't he? The magic sleep juice. Yeah, he was cuddling up with me, and then next thing I know, Miguel wakes me up after work, and he was like, you fell asleep, didn't you? And I was like, uh, maybe. And I looked at the time, and it was too late to go to the gym. So I was kind of like, well, shit. Guess no gym tonight. So instead, I decided to get some groceries and make some dinner. And then I did some crocheting, making a blanket right now. This this makes me laugh. The other day I saw a video. This, this daughter was in the car with her mom. And she was like, Mom, can we go to the craft store? And the mom's like, okay, why? And she goes, I want to do crotcheting. It's <laughs> like, what? Yeah, mom, I want to do crotchening. Have you never heard of it? She was like, are you sure you know what you're talking about? She goes, yeah, crotchening, mom. You wouldn't get it <laughs> or something like that. But now sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm crotcheting. Love that. Because it makes me laugh. Yeah, so I, I crotchen today. I wish that crotcheting was spelled differently than crocheting. <laughs> so I could make you a shirt that says I'm crotcheting on it. But... <laughs> It would just look like it says crocheting. Yeah, I've been super into embroidery lately. So, if you need anything embroidered, hit a girl up. Don't hit me up to crotch on you anything. Thank you. Yeah, because she does it for all her friends and family, but she won't make me anything. No, that is not the case. Maybe if you lived closer, it'd be easier. But if I choose to do it by my own free will, I'm like, yo, I want to go get some yarn and I'm making a blanket today or I'm making whatever today, then I will sit down and I will do it for hours. But yeah, no, the second that someone's like, oh, can you make me one? I'm like, ugh, I suddenly don't want to do this ever again. Well, that's the beauty of me living so far away and I only visit once a year. You have a long time to work on something for me. What makes you think I don't even have something in store? I don't believe you. Yeah, I don't have anything. (laughs) (laughs) I've just been doing kind of like regular patterns and stuff. But the one thing that I've been looking into that I want to do next is like granny squares. Mm -hmm. I love them and I think they're so cute. So I think that's my next project is I'm going to make a granny square blanket. You know that one of my like bucket list projects. Have you ever watched uh, the show Roseanne? Yeah. They have a blanket on their couch. And it's like my holy grail of crochet projects. I just I just want the, the blanket from their couch so bad. I, I can't picture it in my brain, but I trust you. It's literally like just black outline, granny squares, and random colors made into a blanket. I'll have to look into it. It looks very 70s and I love it. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, that's definitely my my next project is granny squares. Because, yeah, every time that I make a blanket, I try a new stitch. But I feel like I'm getting not bored of it, but I kind of want to move on and do something else. Like, I, I started working on, like, making plushies, too, which is kind of fun, but I don't know. I don't know if that's for me. I, I like the consistent just, like, over and over and over again. And I feel like mm -hmm. granny squares, you just... A lot of them, you just make the same thing over and over and over again. I'm also not a big fan of, like, sitting here and counting every stitch. Like, I like just, okay, go and mindfully go. I have crocheted multiple projects, and I tell you, I have not counted stitches a single time. I People are always like, I'll count your stitches. And I'm like, I just want to go. I'm just here to vibe. <laughs> yeah, I'm I just I'm here to zone out. My plan is to completely dissociate and then have a whole blanket done before I know I even started. Yeah. But yeah. Anything else you uh feel like saying? We need to prepare ourselves. Okay, I'll clench my bottle. <laughs> Make diamonds real quick. Oh, speaking of which, speaking of clenching bottles. <laughs> yes. The weirdest thing happened to me the other day what like literally i tried to recreate it so it was actually while i was editing the podcast and as i'm editing i'm still like going through all the emotions again each time i'm like going through a clip yeah and one point made me clench clench the cheeks you know okay and it cracked my back i have no idea how that happened i don't know i, I don't think i've ever done that were you sitting up? Yeah. I was sitting at my computer just, like, typing, and I, like, clenched, and it cracked my back. Do you know what part it was? No, I don't remember at all. <laughs> no, but that's the thing, too. I didn't even clench that hard. Dang. It was just, like, a little, oof. And was it, it your lower back? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Are we ready? Yep. Ready, spaghetti? for this freddy i don't think you're ready for this jelly all right so we're gonna jump into this one but just for following along purposes joel michael guy senior and we're actually going to just be calling him michael because i saw from some accounts that he did go by his middle name michael i feel like it's gonna be easier to follow along with the story just because it's a junior senior situation but Michael Guy and Lisa Guy were married for 31 years. By all accounts, Joel and Lisa were basically perfect for each other. Everyone would say that they seemed like soulmates almost. And a lot of these accounts actually came from Michael's daughters. So f Michael had three daughters from a previous marriage. So they had three daughters, one named Shandice, Michelle, and Angela. Michael and his previous wife, they got divorced whenever the youngest were only one years old. And he had met Lisa and got with Lisa whenever they were only three. So from a very young age, they were like, I know that she came into my life whenever I was only three years old, but she was, she was definitely my mother. And from all accounts, Lisa was a very loving mom. She was always going above and beyond for them. And she made it well known that she was the stepmother, but she also was always the one stepping up and trying to be the best mother possible for them. She treated them like they were her own, even though they weren't her biological children. And actually the one daughter, Michelle, she looked up to her so much that 
she said whenever she went on to have her own children, she modeled Lisa. And when she got engaged, she had an exact replica made of Lisa's ring just because she loved her so much. And their mother was still in the picture. It was one of those things where she said she was a single mom. We definitely struggled. But she didn't have anything bad to say about her. So after Michael and Lisa had gotten together, they ended up having a son of their own who they named Joel Michael Guy Jr. From all accounts, he was very antisocial is how a lot of people had put it. He would not leave his room. He wanted nothing to do with anyone. Like even on holidays and family events, they said even the times that he would come out, he was just kind of rude and he would talk down on everyone. His stepsisters even said like they didn't even know who he was. And this is a continuing theme, but he has never been properly diagnosed, but in my unprofessional opinion, he's like textbook narcissist. Got you. I think I want to add a little asterisk in here. I do know this story. Do you? I do, but I haven't researched it. I've just like heard snippets. However, I'm still excited to hear all the juicy details, so... Yeah, no, I definitely think this one is more well-known in the true crime world, but I feel like because it is so brutal and there's so much almost shock value in it is one of the reasons why it is such a popular case. After really looking into things, it was like, damn, dude. Yeah. All right, well, jump back into it. So he just seemed like the type that he made it known that he was disgusted with other people and he genuinely thought that he was smarter than everyone else. I hate those types. Yeah, he he was actually accepted into a special private border school called the Louisiana School for Math, Science, and Arts. So it was like a very high pretentious school for very smart individuals. I feel like that definitely fueled his ego even more. And he was very smart in school as well. But I feel like that almost validated it to himself. Where he was like, I am better than everyone else. In 2006, he had graduated from that school. And he went on to do one semester at the George Washington University before he transferred over to the Louisiana State University. And he was actually going to become a plastic surgeon. But it seemed that he was kind of off and on there. And his parents, they they did have some good paying jobs. His father was a pipeline engineer, and his mom worked for a company called Jacobs Engineering, and she worked in the HR department. But because his father was doing so well that he could provide for them, they just really wanted him to focus on school and just do his thing. So while he was away living in Louisiana and going to school, he actually collected all of his mother's paychecks from work. His Mother, she she definitely seemed to coddle him. So her paychecks went directly to Joel. So he did not have to work. He he never even had a job. So he was collecting all of his money from his parents. Must be nice. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> at dad who now listens to this podcast. If you just want to send me your paychecks, I won't I won't complain. Yeah. If you just want to direct deposit them into our accounts. That would be appreciated. Yeah, so thanks in advance, Dad. Yes, thank you, Dad. So in 2016, I believe it was around October, Michael, either he got let go from his job or he got fired. And 
he started running the numbers with Lisa. They sat down and looked and Michael decided that instead of going and finding a new job, that they were actually well off enough that they could just retire. But if it would be possible for them to retire, then that means that they have to cut off Joel. Because like I said, he was collecting literally all of Lisa's paychecks. They were just directly going to Joel. So time to get a job, baby boy. Yeah. Another part of their retirement plan was that they were actually going to be moving from Knoxville over to Sagoinsville, Tennessee. That is where Michael grew up, and they were actually going to move into his mother's house, I believe. Was his mother still living there, or had she... Um, she had passed, to my knowledge. Okay. So we aren't 100% positive when or if... Joel was informed that he was being cut off. I saw from multiple different accounts, and there's some speculation that they were waiting until Christmas to inform Joel. Some people said that he had gotten an email about it, but it was made known to the other family. I believe it was Michelle actually had said that her dad came to her and informed her, like, hey, we're cutting off Joel. And I'm, I'm sure his siblings were like, thank God it's about time. Because at this point in time, Joel is 28 years old. So he is a grown man still collecting his mother's every single paycheck. And that was like his only source of income? Yes, he had no job, anything. His sole source of income was his mother's paychecks. That blows my mind. Like, what are you doing all day? <laughs> yeah, it was also one of those things where from what I had gathered in my personal opinion, it truly seemed like he genuinely felt that he was entitled to those paychecks because they owe him because they're his parents. This reminds me of an episode of Dr. Phil I saw. No, I believe it. So Thanksgiving comes around, so it's November, and this year was just odd. His family didn't really want to say anything because they were just happy, but this year for Thanksgiving, Joel had shown up to the house and was like a completely different person. Like they had never met him because like I had said before, for family events, doesn't matter what, he would go up to his room, he'd lock himself in there and he wanted nothing to do with anyone, wouldn't socialize with anyone. But this time was different. He was being upbeat, he was being happy, he was being nice to everyone, he was playing with his nephews. He had even gone up to his old, like, childhood room and started giving his nephew some of his toys. And his sister had said that she didn't even think that he knew their names. And it was definitely one of those situations where they were like, well, we don't want to say anything and ruin it. Because before this, he, he wanted nothing to do with any of them. After Thanksgiving was over, they were like, oh my goodness, like, we have never seen Joel like this before. Like, this is amazing. We, he never wants to be around the family. Like, this, that was great. Everyone was excited. They all saw the positive. Like, they weren't, they were obviously sketched out because it was out of character, but they were, they were excited and they were happy because they had never seen that side of him before. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it'd be a little, a little concerning, but at the same time, like you said, they don't want to say anything. It's better ha than it was. Yeah, exactly. So it was kind of like, okay, no one say anything because maybe he's turned a new leaf. Maybe he's taking everything really well. Not justify it, but they were like, maybe he is stepping up now. Maybe he wants to be a, like better himself. And there was some sources that said there was a little bit of tension at Thanksgiving, but 
no one wanted to look too far into it because everyone just kind of assumed that it was his parents cutting him off. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of like, okay, well, everything's going well, so let's not bring this up. Let's just kind of, let's try to smooth this over. Right. Let's uh push that off just a little bit longer. <laughs> Don't want to rain on the parade. Yeah. Let's ignore all of that. So finally, Thanksgiving night, his sisters had left and he was going to stay at his parents' house. They said that he was going to stay for a day or two. So Thanksgiving was Thursday. Always is. Yeah. (laughs) So Joel said that he was going to stay at his parents' house in Knoxville, Tennessee, just for a little bit before he goes back to Louisiana. The day after Thanksgiving, Michael and Joel... They both went down to Sigoinsville, Tennessee to go take their boat down. So they were in the process of moving things because, like I said before, his parents were moving to Michael's hometown. Actually, at the time of Thanksgiving, the house was already technically sold, but they didn't have to be out until December 13th. But because they had so much time, they were just kind of taking trips here and there. So on Friday... Michael and Joel had gone down to take his boat down. So on their way down, Michael had told his sisters that he was going to be going down there and dropping off his boat. And actually, one of his sisters was calling to be like, hey, where are you at? Like, I want to stop in and see you. And he had told her like, oh, I'm already on my way home. We wanted to make it home in time for dinner, so we didn't want to stick around. I'm coming by with another load of things on Monday, so I'll just talk to you later. And after Friday, his sisters stopped getting replies. They started texting, they were calling, and they weren't hearing anything back from him, which was unusual, but they were kind of like, okay, he's moving, like, he's probably busy, like, it's okay. And then their daughter, Shandice, also said that it was very unusual because she would talk to her father every weekend, and it was especially unusual and very out of character for him because her birthday was actually that Sunday. A lot of people started to become suspicious whenever they weren't hearing for them because that was really out of character for them. Mm -hmm. I believe it was Michelle that actually said that she still hadn't heard from them by Monday night. She was going to contact the authorities to check on them. Monday morning rolls around and Lisa is scheduled to work at seven o'clock in the morning. And she actually had some big plans for that day because this was her last week at work. So her coworkers had planned a special lunch for her. So whenever she didn't show up to work on Monday morning, it was very out of the ordinary for her. She was the type that she would not just no call, no show, especially if she had something planned for that evening with her coworkers. Right. So at 7.15, Lisa's boss, Jennifer White, had started calling and texting both Lisa and Michael. And with no response or no answer, she quickly became very worried. So she ended up calling the police and asking them to do a welfare check. And she just kind of was like, one of my employees didn't show up. Is there any way someone could go do a wellness check on her and just make sure she's okay? She had told them they do have a dog. But the dog is a big baby, like, everything should be fine, but just a heads up, there is a dog there as well. Whenever the police officer arrived, he walked up to the front door. He was ringing the doorbell and knocking with no response. So he waited for a little bit, and he walked around the back and peeked his head in through the backyard fence. And he hadn't seen anything. He saw the little dog house. He tried to whistle, but got no response. He continued to knock and ring the doorbell. And still with no response, he called it off and said, 
I'm sure everything's fine. I didn't get any response, but there wasn't anything that raised too much suspicion, so. Dude, we need a second first responder field. Like, we have police, we have firefighters, medics and stuff. We need a separate one that does wellness checks because every single story in the entire world, basically, they're like, someone called to do a wellness check. They went and knocked on the door. No one answered, so they left. Oh, that's so frustrating. Yes, but this information was relayed back to Jennifer, and we love Jennifer. She basically said, no, I'm not accepting this. You're going to go back there, and until you talk to them face-to-face, I'm not accepting that answer. Yes, Jennifer. Louder for the cops in the back. (laughs) Yes. So... The police officer went back onto the scene, and this time he was with multiple other officers. They kind of did the same routine. They went up to the front door, and they started looking into things a little bit more, and they started to notice some strange things. So whenever they looked into the front door window, they had seen some grocery bags just sitting on the ground, which was kind of like, okay, like, that's not super weird, but, like, maybe something and then they looked closer and they examined the front doorknob and it looked like it had been tampered with with like screwdriver markings and like something was going on with it can i also ask a clarifying question yeah were there cars there um yeah so we'll also get into that because that was the first thing that i noticed yeah but so after seeing that they decided to go to the back door and this time they jumped over the fence they didn't just peek their head in and so once they had made it to the back door they had noticed that the back doorknob was actually missing Hmm. which it was never confirmed but i'm pretty sure that doorknob that was on the front door was originally the back doorknob got you i feel like maybe a new doorknob kind of could make sense since they just sold it maybe it was like a renovation maybe i don't know and that's that's actually one thing that they had noticed too and they said was out of the ordinary because usually for houses that are on the market they usually have a lockbox on the front door so if a realtor needs to show it but there was no lockbox on the door right so that was one thing that was kind of strange to them but they were like okay So they went to the back, and like I said, the doorknob was missing. And one police officer decided to look through the doorknob hole, and he said he immediately noticed an intense amount of heat and the smell of chemicals. And that was kind of like the, okay, um, something is going on. And so then they really started to evaluate the situation. And you can even hear in the body cam footage, one police officer said, like, something's wrong here. We know there's a dog here, but you can't hear any dogs barking. All three of their vehicles are in the driveway. There's something going on here, and we need to gain access because this is too fishy to not look even further into now at this point. Yeah. So they started kind of looking around and they started going inside the car and opened the garage door and gained access through the garage door. Okay. Why didn't they just open the door without the doorknob? But if there's no doorknob, usually the door can't close. Yeah. I don't know fully, but they did gain access to the garage door. And this is where it just like... Fasten your seatbelts, put your tray tables up. About to get into some turbulence. Yeah, lots and lots of turbulence. So as soon as they entered, they noticed the intense amount of heat and just the smell of chemicals. And some of them even testified that their bodies physically started to react to the amount of chemicals in the air. Oof. Yeah. 
So as they started walking in further, this one makes my heart hurt, but as they're down near the bottom of the stairs, you just hear the dog whimpering and barking, like pleading for help. So just kind of like a little side note, just to make you feel a little bit better because it made me feel better. The dog did come out okay and it survived. And from what I'm aware of, he is happy and healthy today. But so they begin clearing the house room by room and they clear the whole downstairs. There's some weird and suspicious things, but not enough to stop them. So they clear everything downstairs and then they make their way upstairs. And that's when she gets a little rough. The further they go upstairs, they start to notice a lot. So on their way up the stairs, they notice blood on the stairs and on the sidewalls. And as they wait, make their way up, they start to notice a lot. And as they're clearing the rooms, they just start seeing more and more. And finally, they get to one of the back rooms. And one of the officers notices a pair of severed hands on the ground. Oh, God. Yeah, so there's a pair of human hands sitting on the ground, and you literally hear the officer on the body cam go, oh my god, are those human hands? Oh my god, those are fucking hands. That's literally what the police officers say. And they're like, we need to get out of here, we need to go back down, we need to call in a homicide squad. They came in for a wellness check. They are not prepared for this. Yeah, so I mean, hopefully at this point they get out but they still haven't identified if there are people living or dead, so they need to do that. But uh, yeah, no. then they need to get out so they don't <laughs> contaminate anything. Well, no, because after they cleared the rooms and didn't see anyone and they found the hands, they immediately got out. Okay. And they called for a homicide squad and they made sure not to touch anything. Good, because that's another thing that drives me nuts in some stories. Where it's like, mm -hmm. the police were there and started moving stuff around just to see. And I'm like, the evidence! Stop! Stop! Yeah. Yes, no, thankfully these officers were very smart and it was literally touch nothing and get out right now. Okay. Until we get back up. And so we're gonna get a little bit further into it, but every officer that was on the case... They said that this was one of the most gruesome scenes that they had ever seen, and some officers even quit shortly after this case was over. Okay. <laughs> and and the gruesome scene is, like, the blood in the hands, or are we about to... We're about to get into it. Okay, great. So, the homicide detective, they walk in, and they take video evidence of everything, and as they walk in... The first thing that you notice is it's kind of like a kitchen dining area. On the right, the stove is turned on and it has a huge stock pot on it. I mean, I don't know why it's hot. I, I'm assuming the stove is on or whatever. But heat is not great for a decomposing body. It speeds up the process, makes things nasty real fast. Yeah, that was 100% intentional to try to mess with decomp and everything. But so they're walking through and on the kitchen table is both Michael and Lisa's wallets and there's guns on the table. As they're walking through, the thermostat is set to 90 degrees. So the highest that it will go. The groceries are sitting on the floor. There was like perishables in there. There was ice cream. Like someone didn't intentionally leave these here. Mm -hmm. Also, <laughs> my brain for a second... You, you go, the thermostat set to 90. I'm doing the math. This is happening, like, December-ish. That means the heat is on, pumping pretty warm. My head just goes, 
Oh my god, their electricity bill. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel that. But they make their way upstairs, and like I said before, the stairs and the walls have blood splatter on them. And in the middle of the hallway, there's a pile of clothing, and all over the house, there is just piles. Bottles of cleaning supplies, there's trash bags, gloves, just like every pile of blood or like a large amount of blood, there's like a pile of clothes and cleaning supplies like sitting beside them. So it seems that it was very intentional that like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go back and clean it up later. And they make their way over to the master bedroom. And in the master bedroom, there's actually space heaters turned on. The thermometer was showing that it was actually 95 degrees upstairs. Oh, damn. So it's even hotter upstairs, and they said it was a noticeable. <laughs> yeah. Literally, I said hot damn, and then I was like, <laughs> yeah. no pun intended. So there was a noticeable temperature difference from just going upstairs. And then they walk into the master bathroom, and it's covered in plastic. So there's two big plastic storage bins, and they're filled with chemicals and human remains. And there was a hose attached to the shower head. There was a knife in the sink. The storage bins and the chemicals just makes me think that whoever did this watched Breaking Bad. You shouldn't get your crime scene cleanup information from a television show. Yeah, or just don't do anything like this ever. How about that? Oh yeah, absolutely. But, you know. <laughs> it, it just keeps, it always goes to show how ridiculously stupid these people are that they're like oh i saw this on a tv show which means i'm smart enough to pull this off that's not how any of this works and if you think you're smart enough to pull it off like we've said before no the frick you're not yeah don't don't do it and so then after they're done the master bedroom bathroom then they move over to one of the guest rooms and Inside of the guest room, they had found the lids to the tubs, some textbook, a suitcase, and a box of bullets, an open box of gloves, a container of food-grade hydrogen peroxide, which I thought was interesting. On that container of the hydrogen peroxide, the handle was covered in blood. Okay. So then they kind of did a walkthrough of that room. Also, another thing was in that guest room, there was a backpack sitting on the floor, which we're going to get back to. Okay. Sounds good. I'm just like, my stomach is turning to also thinking back to decomposing bodies plus heat. Even even regular bodies plus heat, it's going to be a little dank in there. So like, dead bodies plus heat. I cannot even imagine the smell. And chemicals. Ugh. Lots and lots and lots of chemicals. It's burning my nose just thinking about it. Yeah, not any good. After they make their way out of the guest bedroom, they go to the hall bathroom, and inside the hall bathroom is blood splatter and piles of clothes. And actually, in the corner of the bathtub, there's used medical tape and bandages. And there's the vanity is just covered with blood and gloves, a knife, just a bunch of stuff and then they go into the laundry room where the dog was actually kept and there wasn't really anything in there there was just some clothes and then finally they make it to the back workout room and that's where the hands were originally found in the workout room there's a huge blood stain right in the middle of the room 
and there's two knives, a pile of clothes on the floor, and there was a bow flex machine that was turned onto its side, and right beside it was where the severed hands were. And there was definitely a lot of signs of struggle, especially in this workout room. Like, the blinds were all cut up, like someone was fighting over them. There was actually even a stab wound in a futon in that room as well. Damn. Mm -hmm. It definitely sounds like there's signs of struggle, though. So. Yeah, no, there's a lot of signs of struggle in that room and the whole upstairs. So, let's go back downstairs real quick. This is like the... Zooey Mama, the shocker, in that stock pot that was turned on on the stove, that was where Lisa's decapitated head was boiling on the stove. It's nasty. Yeah. I think that's like the only part that really stuck with me with this story. So I, was, I, I knew that was coming, but always hopeful that I'm like, maybe this time it's, maybe it was all just a dream. Oh, that's awful. No, it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, after talking to people, it was very quickly brought to their attention that everyone believed that it was the son. He is truly the only person that we could think of with any sort of motive. The police quickly honed in on him, and thankfully, he is an idiot. He made so many mistakes, but the most incriminating things, this dude inside of that backpack, that was, that was Jules' backpack filled with his textbooks, but also inside was a notebook with the whole entire plan. He had the whole thing written out, like multiple pages, how he was going to do everything. You know what my first thought is? Hmm. This man's has never had a job in his entire life. What made him think he could do this job even semi-right? He didn't have the resume for this. <laughs> he That is the thing that just baffles me, is he genuinely felt like he was going to get away with this. Not only is he a big stinky poopy pants, but apparently mm -hmm. he's big stinky poopy brains, too. Yeah, um, how about we never plot a murder, but if you're gonna, maybe don't write it down in a notebook and then leave it at the crime scene. Yeah, yeah, actually, if you are going to do something, make sure you write it all down. Make a couple copies even, you know, uh, send it straight to your local police office. Mm -hmm. And put your signature at the bottom while you're at it, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the only way you're gonna get away with it. So make sure you write it, sign it with your signature, and even print your name. You know, you want to go yeah. that extra step just to make sure you're really going to get away with it. Yeah, and also on top of that, just like Joel had done, make sure that you leave all of your DNA evidence all over the house. Yeah, you should, um... Cut your hair at the scene, too. I feel like you need a new do. You're a yeah. new person. Yeah, cut your hair, but also, like, rip some strands out. Just make mm -hmm. sure the follicles are still there. Tap your fingers along the wall. Maybe give yourself a little flesh wound, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. All of this is the best way. I second that, yeah. <laughs> but with the evidence they had found and with talking to people, they, they knew it was him. So the police and the FBI got involved because of how gruesome this case was. So very quickly, the FBI started following Joel. And after some surveillance, they ended up bringing him in 
and they arrested him on Tuesday. On top of this, whenever he was arrested, in the trunk of his car, they found a meat grinder that he had just purchased. Makes me question some things, but maybe we can come back oh, no, to it was, question in case. It was part of his plan. You know how I said that he wrote down and plotted the whole thing in a notebook? But Yeah, I understand that part. No, it just makes me kind of question them. Um, what was he going to do with that ground up meat? I don't want to know. That wasn't that wasn't in the notebook. Um, and I don't think I want to know. I I don't think he was planning anything. I think it was honestly just to get rid of evidence, because I mean it was soaked in acid. So I don't. If it if you're going where I think you're going, I don't think that would be his avenue because it was soaking in a bunch of chemicals. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, and he was also planning on trying to catch the house on fire to destroy evidence. That's um another thing. So earlier I was like, the bins are from Breaking Bad. But then he's getting a meat grinder. So I'm like, he's taking notes from Breaking Bad and Sweeney Todd. Something. I don't know. He just pulled from everywhere because he was like, you know what? I got this. I've seen enough. And speaking of the bins, though, I feel like... This is something that would haunt me if I was in that situation. Michelle had even seen the bins in the trunk of his car during Thanksgiving, but she didn't think anything of it. But, like, looking back, she was like, I thought that was weird to see those in his car, but I didn't because it's not my business. And that there's no way, like, she could have known. Yeah, no, that's... Why? No one, no one in their sane mind would expect something like this to happen. Um, but so he was arrested very quickly. It was, it was kind of like a done deal. Like you are so stupid. Like you are the biggest idiot we have ever met in our lives. He was genuinely so arrogant that he, he truly thought that he got away with this. So whenever he got arrested, he wasn't even aware that the bodies were found yet. Big old dummy, dumb, dumb. Also remind me from the day it happened until the day they found the bodies. Do we know how long? Their date of death was November 26th and he was brought in on the 29th. Okay. So it's not like he's had time to write out the freedom. Oh, no. This is another thing. Very, very shortly... After their death, he had taken their credit cards and paid off a couple months of his rent. He paid off utilities and some school debt. Wow, that's not suspicious at all. No, not at all. Also, in that notebook that we talked about, on top of plotting the whole entire thing, he also had another section that he had listed as her assets with her life insurance policy and all the money that he would get out of everything. Like, at this point, we've gone this far with all this stupid that it can get stupider, but, like, you know, I'm almost expecting it to. If you think it's that stupid, trust me, it gets worse. (laughs) Yeah, so he literally had, like, a full-blown written confession in a notebook. Yeah, so technically, they don't even need to have him write a confession. They they already got it. Mm-hmm. But, so, obviously, he got brought in because you're an idiot. We are going to get into the autopsies. So, I think the biggest thing 
is to go back to his plot, his plan that he literally wrote out for everyone. It went to shit from the very beginning. So nothing went as he originally planned it because he's an idiot. So in his notebook, he had planned to break the garbage disposal. And while his dad was in there trying to fix it, that he would, he would be able to overpower him from above while he's under the sink. The one thing that we do know about his father is that he was a very fit guy. He was an athletic man. He was strong. And Joel Jr. is anything but. Yeah, the two main things I remember about this case was what Joel Jr.'s face looks like and the stockpot. It's not nice to judge people on their looks. However, this is one ugly motherfucker. No, he deserves it. I hope he gets bullied for being in poopy pants for the rest of his life. If someone else looks like this and they're not a poopy pants, I'm sure you're beautiful on the inside, but he ugly. Yes. But how it appears is he attempted to break the garbage disposal and he did, but it didn't go as planned because his dad was kind of like, the house is already sold. This is not my top priority. It's whatever. It's someone else's problem now. (laughs) Yeah, basically from his very first plot, it didn't work out. So instead he had to change his plan. So instead, while his dad was upstairs working out, he decided to attack him from behind. Like I said, there was a lot of signs of struggle in that room. His father truly fought for his life, but he did eventually succumb to his injuries. And after they had done a full autopsy, it appeared that he had 42 stab wounds in total, and he had punctured his lungs, liver, kidney, and he had even severed some of his ribs, which, do you know how much force it takes to sever ribs? Yeah. It's not easy to cut a bone with a a knife. (laughs) And at the time of his death, Lisa was actually out to buy groceries. After Lisa had gotten home, he had got her attention. He had asked her to come upstairs for something in one way or another, whether it was saying that he was hurt or his father was hurt or we don't know what. And it appears that he must have also attacked her from behind because she had 25 stab wounds in the back and 31 in total. It was, it was bad. I don't know if it was like a blind rage. So in total, combining both of their wounds, that was 73 stab wounds. Damn, that is so many. I feel like that's, that's gotta take a long time too. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And so after their death, he had dismembered their bodies. Joel Michael Sr., His hands were cut at the wrist, his arms were cut at the shoulders, his legs were cut at the hips, and his right foot was cut off. Mm -hmm. So he threw all of those pieces in the bin. And for Lisa, her legs were cut off at the knees, her arms were cut off at the shoulders, and her head was removed. But one of the autopsy texts had said the head wasn't just clean cut off. It was ripped off with force oh god that's insane yeah his initial intent was to have very little cleanup quick and easy this and that but was the original plan in the notebook stabbing yeah it's just funny to me stabbing is not one of the cleanest ways to die (laughs) no And the reasons why he had cut off his father's hands was to try to frame his father for the murders. But it's like, did your father also murder himself and dismember his own body? I don't know where he was 
going with that. Wow. He's so stupid that I, I can't respond with anything other than like awe of how ridiculously awful and stupid this is yeah the fact that a human being sat down and intentionally planned this whole entire thing followed through with murdering his parents that literally coddled him and loved him and would do anything that they could for him like i've seen other cases too where people who (laughs) kill their parents because they've been raped and abused but like His parents were great people. Yeah, like I said, from like all accounts, like even her stepdaughters were like she was the ideal mother. Not that it justifies it in other circumstances, but it's like you can't even try to make sense of it. It's it's honestly disgusting. He was a mistake. Yeah, but back to what I was saying previously. In his notebook, he had wrote cut his arm and plant his flesh under her fingernail, place her hand with his DNA so that his DNA is not washed away. As as the white girls of 2016 would say, I literally can't. Yeah, it was honestly one of those things where it's like, there was no way to make this seem like he didn't do it. Could you imagine like every attorney's like, bro, he fucking did it. <laughs> it uh, no, not me. It's not my day. (laughs) Yeah, so this case had taken place in November of 2016. And this case did not go to trial until 2020. Was he in jail or out on jail? he was in jail. Okay, good. But like you were just saying, it was literally like no one wanted it. And it was kind of at the point where they're like, I I can't help you. <laughs> like, Yeah, like there's no way to defend his case. But let me hear about the trial. Uh, of course, he pleaded not guilty. I just choked on a laugh. It's just what, how you wrote it out. <laughs> I don't know if it was because he genuinely thought there was a possible way to get out of this. Or some people think it was intentional just so that it would have to go to court and People would have to sit through the trial and see what he did. And like I said, the lawyers were like, I don't know how to help you. So they were kind of just grasping at straws. They had said that the notebook actually never had been analyzed by a handwritten analysis expert, even though it was in his backpack with all of his stuff. And his his name's on the front of it, but just, I, I don't know if his name's on it, but like, okay, mm-hmm. oh, this theory that mm-hmm. they didn't have his handwriting it analyzed then who wrote it huh it's in his backpack yeah so another one that they tried to use was oh but at thanksgiving he was so outgoing and kind there's no way he could have done it as if it wasn't you know people usually act different before they do something insane yeah but all of their attempts just didn't work obviously thankfully after a four-day trial. He was convicted and he was charged on two counts of first-degree premeditated murder, three counts of felony murder, and two counts of abuse of a corpse. All right. Yeah. And he was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences. He's literally never getting out. Thank you, Jesus. With no option of parole. Um, I think... I think there was, like, a possibility of parole, but it was, like, a hundred-something years, so it's literally impossible. I still hate when they do that. Yeah. No. No parole, bitch. Yeah. No. 
lock him up, throw away the key. And one of the things about his trial, literally the whole entire time, he had like zero expression. He had zero emotion. But every now and then he would he would throw in like a little smirk. I definitely couldn't be the jury on this case either. I'd get thrown out. His attorney would be like, well, and then I'd raise my hand in the jury box and be like, I'm ready to deliberate. I know yeah. he did it. <laughs> like, I mean, yes, but like, I cannot even fathom what that was like for his sisters and the family that loved them. See, I'm almost surprised that it went four days. I just feel like if I was anywhere in the courtroom, I'd get thrown out for being like, guys, he wrote it out. Let's let's call it quits. Yeah. Well, like the four days was literally just this and this and this and this. Like it was literally just like pinning everything to him. But yeah, this was one million thousand bajillion percent premeditated. He had been planning this. Yeah. They always say like if you are going to decide someone's guilty, it needs to be like beyond a reasonable doubt. I don't think you can even have an unreasonable doubt. Like, there's no way you can have any doubts about no. this one. No. And I believe that that was even another thing that they tried to use. And you can't confirm that it was 100% him without a doubt. And it's like, yeah, you can't. <laughs> like, one more thing. I swear to God, this is not intentional. I did not do this on purpose. Um, But there was a small portion of his trial... Um, where he represented himself. Oh my gosh. I know, I didn't mean to. Um, but yeah, he represented himself for just a small portion of the trial. And while he was doing that, he tried to convince them that if he is found guilty, that he should be given the death penalty. So he was pushing on the death penalty, was like, if I'm guilty, I should get the death penalty, this and that. Where obviously that wasn't even... That wasn't even in talks. That wasn't in play. He obviously was not given it. That, that makes me be like, all right, so no death penalty. You're having the opposite of the death penalty. If you start choking, I'm bringing you back so you can suffer longer. No, I, I truly think that's what he deserves. Like I said, throughout the trial, he showed no remorse. He showed no emotion. Literally, the only time that he showed emotion was... Whenever he had called his friend, with my opinion, they were more than friends, but none of that is confirmed. So whenever he was arrested, he ended up calling his literal only friend. They brought this phone call up in court. The phone call was basically him calling and apologizing to him. And after Joel had said, like, I want you to be happy and move on with your life. His friend's response was, I'm not totally surprised, but I'm definitely, like, upset and angry and confused and disappointed. And, like, I feel like I'm mourning you even though you're still alive. But the thing that caught me off guard is, like, what do you mean, like, you're not surprised? Mm, someone needs to look into this guy. Yeah. And there's even one point where, like, Joel's, like, basically crying on the phone call. And he's like, the only thing I'm gonna miss is you. And, like, stuff like that. And it's like, shut the fuck up. Like, you don't, I don't, you have zero emotion for literally, brutally murdering and dismembering your own parents. And you literally are smirking in the court. But you have the audacity to call your best friend and be like, I'm going to miss you so much. Like, I'm so sorry. This and that. Like, but you don't apologize to anyone else. You don't apologize to your family. Like, 
nothing. Man, this guy's a piece of work. But, yeah, no, from that phone call, I definitely think they were more than friends, but that is not confirmed. But, yeah, the jury found him guilty right away. Ever get answers about why the hell there was a head in the stockpot? Nope, no answers about that. What the fuck? Um, but also, something that I had found out that I did not know about. He was not done there. Oh, oh, mm -hmm. is it time for the quote? As Billy May says, but wait, there's more. There is more! Ugh. God damn it. So, November 15th of 2022, he oh. tried to appeal his case, saying that the police entered without a warrant and they didn't have the right to go through my stuff and blah, blah, blah. And so he applied for the appeal. <laughs> Which... Sorry, my face right now. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yeah. And did they laugh in his face? Oh yeah. Yeah. So it, it got denied April 28th of 2023. And they basically were like, they had every reason to go in there you lost your right for those things whenever you murdered and dismembered your parents. Like, if he came to me and was like, hey, I want to appeal the case, you know, they didn't have the right. And I'm like, listen, bitch, just for asking, here's another 500 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. Like, like, when you're grounded and you talk back, oh, make it two weeks. But, like, <laughs> yeah, you, you want to ask me to I appeal this? No. Yeah. Go back to your room and never come out again. I think they should give him, like, the most annoying cellmate that will make him go crazy. I, I'd like to just see him in solitary. I think he'd like that, though. Really? Yeah, I remember he was closed in, cooped up, didn't like to be around people. He thought that he was better than everyone else. So I feel like him being surrounded with people would annoy the fuck out of him. Especially, like, annoying oh, people. Oh, I have an even better idea. Instead of solitary, instead of, you know, room full of people, his punishment should just be, um, medieval. Yeah, I just, I feel like people who do stuff like this, especially when they are so freaking smug about it, like, I feel like prison's not enough. And I don't want the death sentence because sometimes that seems like an easy way out. And that's literally what he wanted. Yeah, so I, I really do think medieval torture devices should make a comeback. All I know is that I think he has the most punchable face I've ever seen. His little smug smirk that he would have throughout the trial. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how someone didn't walk up and just punch him in the face. Like, yeah. I... Also, maybe one of those, like, humiliation things where they, like, put your hands and your head in the wood and people, like, throw tomatoes at you. I think that one would be perfect for him. Yeah. This was definitely a case that I was like, oh, yeah, let me just do that. And then the deeper I got in, I was like, I should have never done this. What about Joel Sr.? Do we know anything about him? I did not get a whole lot. Honestly, it just seemed like him and Lisa were so in love with each other and he seemed like a great father by all accounts they said that the whole family in general but like joel and lisa and the family they just had a lot of like banter back and forth they would all they just had a very close-knit family whenever they would get together because 
the daughters were grown up and some lived far away. They would always have like a great time whenever they got together. They were very family oriented. He would talk to his daughters daily. Like they were, they were just all very close knit and they just seemed to really love each other. But also that kind of reminds me though too, an outsider point of view looking out, like you could kind of be like, oh, but they left Joel Jr. out of all of this. Like maybe he felt isolated and this and that, but it was, they truly tried to involve him. He had so much pride that he genuinely would like look down on them and he removed himself from the family group chat because he didn't want a part in it like they were constantly trying to include him and getting him involved and he genuinely wanted nothing to do with any of them i'm trying to think of a, a word to use because like he's he feels very incel adjacent but like to the extreme where he's not just an incel he's also like voluntarily not a person in his family yeah he wanted nothing to do with them but yes so that is the case of joel michael guy senior and lisa guy joel senior was only 61 years old and lisa was only 55 and they were just getting ready for retirement. They were ready to live out the rest of their lives together. They bought a new home, just the two of them. Like, they were so ready to just live the nice retirement life. Like, just enjoying each other's company and going out and doing fun things. Mm -hmm. And that was completely sweeped away from them. And that's not fair. I, there, I wish there was a word stronger than, like, unfair. Because it's, like, unfair times... A million. Yeah. They had all the makings of people that you would want to be around. And their entitled little spawn thought that. And I think you mentioned that Poop for Brains had nephews and nieces. Um, yeah, he had nephews. So that means that Joel Sr. and Lisa were grandparents too. So mm -hmm. they yeah. leave the leave behind a lot of loved ones and you can you can truly tell that they were so loved like whenever their daughters were on the stand it was heartbreaking i can only imagine i do want to add into um another thing that i remember about the case is when joel got picked up his face was fucked up because his father had you know fought back he was real messed up he had cuts and he he got beat up yeah yeah and i do it again bop, bop, bop. i wish i wish we should all get a turn to kick people like this in the face yeah okay but rest in peace joel michael guy senior and his lovely wife lisa guy rest in peace to both of them and i hope the afterlife is good to them yeah, and I I hope that their families can have at least some sense of peace that he's in prison. It's also something that I feel like never gets taken into consideration, but this one, it's kind of overlapped. The victim's family is obviously suffering, but also the, the murderer's family suffer a lot too. But the fact this is two in one. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Are we ready for a joke? Yeah. Are you ready to ha ha ha? I'm ready to ha ha ha. Okay. Why are piggy banks so wise? Why? 
because they are full of common sense. <laughs> so stupid. Do you get it? I got it. Well, I hope the listeners at least enjoyed the joke a little bit. It was a good joke. It was and a I good just, joke. I just wasted it on you now, Camille. <laughs> so sorry. I hope, I hope the joke isn't wasted on the listeners. I hope they appreciate it. So, speaking of the listeners, aka you with this in your headphones or your AirPods or playing in the speaker of your car or wherever you're listening to it from, who knows, but I'm glad you are. I appreciate you. This has been the Virgo Files with Tristan, a.k.a. me. And Camille, a.k.a. me. Thanks for telling us that story, Camille. And thank you for listening again. We look forward to you listening to us again and again and again. We are here for you and your displeasure of hearing these stories, but pleasure of maybe giving the victims a little light um, every Friday. So we'll see you next Friday. Well, we won't see ya, but you'll hear us. And as always, fuck off, Craig. Fuck off, Craig.